Welcome to the Warrior Optimized Podcast. Join your host, Matt Engler, as he shares insights into the strategies and mindsets that can be implemented to guide you down the road toward living fully optimized. As a business owner, sales and marketing director, success coach, anti-aging advocate, and lifelong learner, stories and lessons will cover a wide range. But golden nuggets are waiting to be uncovered, so buckle up. Hey guys, so pumped for today's episode. Uh, we get basically right down to business and jump right into this interview. It is with Matthew Liptak, a Spartan pro uh, athlete for 2020 season, the season that never was. But anyway, uh, we hop right into it with Matt and uh, get your pen and paper ready. This is a good one for all you OCR athletes. Anyway, thanks guys. Enjoy. Don't step over dollars to pick up nickels. Did you ever hear of that? So it's no. exactly, well, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. I haven't heard that, no. Yeah, so the idea is if you have these simple things that you can do in order to improve whatever you're trying to improve without you know, overreaching. You know, so basically what you're doing is you're picking up the easy things to improve rather than trying to get to the really sexy stuff, right? So instead of like, you know, I got to put in six hours to seven hours of running, why not just get another hour of sleep and do like two hours less of running to make them quality so that you're actually recovering from the efforts you're putting in rather than digging the hole. So yeah. that's kind of. Yeah, no, and even, I don't know if you heard, uh, cause I, 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 I've heard of him. What's his name, Taylor Cruz? Yeah, yeah. So again, I, after talking with Rich Ryan a couple of weeks ago, started listening to his podcast and, and you know, of course listening to yours. And I mean, it's just so much good information out there. Um, but he talked about, you know, post run, like you're more, you're better off spending more time on mobility work after running than, than foam rolling and laying on the floor for 15 minutes. Like, you know, like picking your, you know, not pick your poison, so to speak, but you got to maximize, you know, Tony Robbins uh, talks about net, you know, no extra time, you know, and that's a big thing, you know, like no extra time. Like I literally created an optimization daily guide um, and it, it, it's, it's free, but basically what it does is it talks about, 20 different things you can do every day to just optimize yourself that don't require extra time. Like if you're going to take the dog out and go pee, go out barefoot, stand in the grass with your bare feet, stare at the in the sunlight and do deep breathing exercises, you know, instead of standing there waiting and watching the dog and, you know, thinking about all the work you have to do and, you know, all these other thoughts to sit there and breathe in the sunlight and stick your feet in the grass while the dog is going pee. You know, like simple things, you know, like yeah, preferably, preferably not putting your feet in the grass where the dog is peeing because that wouldn't work out. So good. You need to pay attention to that detail. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but at least if you're barefoot, it's a lot easier to get dog crap out of bare feet than it is to scrape it out of your shoes. So that's that's one positive. Uh, this is very, very true. Yes. You know, like even like brushing your teeth, like brush your teeth with your off hand and stand on one leg every night. You know, my wife walks and she shakes her head like, like brush my teeth, standing on one leg. You know, and then she goes, she saw somebody on Facebook or one of her groups who was brushing her teeth in a uh, seated, um, in a wall sit. Oh, sure. Yeah. Little things like that help. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, that's, that's pretty good. And I'm like, ah, oh. but I do like this toothbrush, this, you know, electronic one. It goes two minutes. I'm like, a two minute wall sit. I'm like, that's insane. So I'm like, no, I can do it. So now I do every morning when I brush my teeth, I do a two minute wall sit, just sit there with the toothbrush. It's like the worst, 
brushing experience imaginable. But you know, it's two minute wall sit, which which actually is something I want. I, I think if I could get into a first question with you. Sure. Yeah. What I like to talk about is microdosing. Actually, why don't we start like a clear cut and why don't we introduce you? So sure. Matthew Liptop. Welcome. <laughs> I'll be brief with this. So um, I've been in obstacle course racing since about 2014. I really got serious in 2015. Uh, and since then, I was able to podium every Spartan standard distance, you know, everything from the stadium to the ultra. And uh, I also did the trail. And uh, at 2019, I was invited into the pro team, which I accepted. Um, and this year, you know, it being what it is and uh, some life choices, unfortunately, I couldn't really continue on the pro team. Uh, but uh, that's kind of where we're at. So podium every distance, no athletic background whatsoever. Uh, pretty much raced for a nonprofit for a little bit, and that inspired me to keep going through uh, Spartan. So. Awesome. Awesome. And you're also very well-versed. So let's, uh, let's highlight that. You know your stuff when it comes to fitness and exercise and, and the human body and stuff like that. So you're not just an executor, a great performer, but you also know your stuff and you can articulate and explain it well. So, uh, so I, I want to shed some light on that because uh, that's, the, that's, that's kind of the, the biggest stuff um, and the biggest reason really is, is for people like you to kind of take some complex concepts and really kind of interpret them in a way that we can digest them because yeah. as we know we we're we as in you and i today are really trying to speak to the guys who are in the 35 to 49 range you know who have kids who have families have professional jobs they're really busy there's not a whole lot of time and they really need to focus their efforts and time uh with purpose and intention so you know i, I i've even written down among many things i've down is you know, going for a run versus training versus exercise you know like just going for a run which i have been guilty of lately is i've been just running like there's like i'm not that like i mean like this black hole i think i've heard someone reference like my heart rate's not really low enough to really be getting a true anaerobic workout but it's not intensified enough that i'm really building anything else you know i'm kind of in this zone where i'm you know i'm not quite out of breath but I should probably just slow it down a little bit but I blame partially the music I'm listening to prevents me from slowing down too much you know but it's kind of yeah. Great for you. That, yeah. That black zone three they call it kind of you know if you're using a five zone system it's that like you're working hard but you're not working that hard yes okay. understood yeah so it's kind of like but and that's the thing like you know that's only because I just really my my idea is just to get out of the house and be in nature and be in the sunlight. It's like, I just got to get out and put music on and just kind of like clear, clear the head kind of thing as, as opposed to lacing up the shoes and going, okay, today I'm going to make sure I do this run and stay within this heart rate range, you know, cause you got to get the best return on, on what we're doing. And, and, yep. and with that, I want to kind of lead into like the first question because um, I like to talk about microdosing, exercising and and I know there's probably different trains of thoughts out there, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, you get into the gym, you warm up, you start getting into your routine, you do your sets and you have this combination, and, you know, you're doing uh, push and pull type exercises and, and you, and you get that sweat, that heart rate up and you complete the workout and whatever it is, 30 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, whatever your workout is, and then you're done. 
So you're fatiguing the muscles. But like for me, I don't necessarily always have an hour to go to a gym and complete a full workout where I'm soaked in sweat. My muscles are all just fatigued and tired. And um, so I'll do, you know, 10 push-ups and 10 pull-ups and run up and down the stairs two or three times. And then I just continue doing what I'm doing, you know, but if you do that four or five times in a day, you accumulate a workout, you know? So is there anything as far as a difference or an advantage or disadvantage to microdosing versus just doing a full fledged head on one hour workout? You know, that's a really good question. And I don't think anyone's really asked or talked about that too much. Cause normally the people that are involved in pretty heavy duty sport, they have concentrated workout times, right? If you notice, I think one of the pro team members that definitely do a lot of this is Robert Killian. You know, he has, two, he has some specific exercises he has to do and certain mountain runs he has to do, but he'll take his kid to the park. He'll make sure his bands are on him. He'll do like squats or lunges or doing, you know, box jumps while they're there. Um, there's also something to be said with new research, and I can't quote any studies particularly, but it's constantly being said now where microdosing exercise does help you stave off deconditioning. So if, let's say you have a, an hour and a half of a large training day, but you're primarily sedentary the rest of the day, you start actually detraining. And if you sit for too long, you turn your glutes off, which is really bad in the running world. You know, you want to have your hips to extend. So to answer your question more succinctly, I think that it's highly valuable to do both. I think you need some kind of concentrated effort. If you go through Jack Daniels, who's that running coach that everyone loves, the Jack Daniel running formula, he says minimum effective dose for exercise when it comes to aerobic activity is 30 minutes. So if you go for a 30-minute run, that's reasonable for a lot of people. And if you're like, I don't have time to do anything else, well, then do your body weight stuff. Then do your bands. Um, I have rippers in the car when I'm, when I'm going to work. I have those heavy duty like iron crush rippers. So I'll do a couple sets of 100 to warm up and then I'll get 150, 200s and do isometrics. So there are ways to get things done. I think microdosing and concentrated bouts of exercise are actually really valuable. It's a good question. That's a great answer too. Appreciate that, appreciate that. So, um, so speaking of, of workout, um, I know you just got finished with one. So yeah. um, you, you had talked about, you know, compressing time and fitting in a workout in a short period of time. And, and I forget your details on, on what you were talking about in a previous podcast, but you had mentioned about, you know, doing a push pull like counter uh, parts, you know, whether it was, and then throwing in a mix of burpees or lunges, like give us an example of a really solid full body, you know, purposeful workout you can achieve in about 20 minutes or so. Okay. So let's isolate this a little bit more. If it's a 20 to 30 minute workout, are you having a, um minimal equipment usage because of COVID, let's say you're indoors or are you outdoors and want to do more OCR specific work? I would say indoors, limited, you know, definitely. I mean, if you want to pull a bar or kettlebell, um, you know, limited equipment. Okay. Uh, honestly, I think one of the things that will really help is uh, how you're going to do some kind of sustained cardiovascular effort, whether or not you have a treadmill and a bike, a stationary exercise, something like that or a jump rope. Uh, jump ropes can be really, really helpful for running form. So let's assume somebody has a jump rope or they can do that specific movement without the snap snake. So we would do a certain amount of time for, uh, you know, to be like a running interval. And let's say that your 800 meters is gonna take you about three minutes and 30 seconds. Okay, fine. So do three minutes, 30 seconds for the jump rope, then immediately transition to another body weight exercise, whether or not that's a pull up, push up or squat form then go back to the running, quote unquote, the jump rope for about half that time. So let's say 
two minutes, then do another exercise that you did not do for that first round, and then go back to the jump rope and intensify it for a minute, and then do another bodyweight exercise you didn't do. So for instance, three minutes, 30 seconds of jump rope, 20 jump squats, okay? Go back to your jump rope, then you got two minutes of jump rope. You do 10 to 15 push-ups or burpees, whatever you wanna do there, and then another you know, minute hard on the jump rope, and then do five pull-ups, and then cycle that for as much time as you have, and you get a lot done. Wow, now after that first round, after the, you know, the pull-ups, is there a rest period there, or do you, are you jumping right back into the jump rope? Honestly, if I didn't have a lot of time, especially with a workout like that, I would try to do an AMRAP style, where you're trying to sustain effort over time, almost like a tempo run kind of feel. Uh, when you start doing those exercises with a little rest period in between, it's okay, but I would then intensify every round more rather than a tempo feel. So I would do, if you're going to rest, maybe two minutes maximally, because time is the factor, right? And if you are resting more than working, then you're really not enhancing your ability to perform within specific parameters. So if you're giving me that example within that 20 to 30 minutes, it's all I got, I would say cycle the rounds continually. So then as far as benefits, so it's a great workout. What is the, what are, how does that translate? What is that going to help specifically in an OCR event? I mean, is well, this VO2 max? Is this lactate threshold? Like, where, where does this fit in? Is this going to help you climb the hill faster? You know, obviously, you know, the, the, the pull-up, obviously, we, we know is going to help with the grip obstacles. But as far as the, the whole, you know, formula of that type of workout, how does that immediately impact, you know, an OCR event? Sure. Okay. Let's just, you know, backpedal a little bit on that. That example is definitely not my ideal workout, but because of the COVID thing, people are indoors. They may not have access to outdoors for any reason, or if they're just in the house and they're stuck. It, it does help you because one, you're working on a specific running skill. So you're getting your knees up. You're working on your running form simultaneously because you have to get your knees up and use your calves with the, with the jump rope. So that's one thing that will help just the running element of it because you're cycling through a running kind of specific movement with bodyweight exercises that would work within the course parameter. So for instance, if I'm doing push-ups, you might be going under barbed wire because it is kind of a push and pull plank position kind of deal. Um, same kind of thing with going over walls, right? Pull-ups. So anything that you're doing, rig traversing, um, you get that grip element too that's there and doing pull-ups. Bonus, if you guys have a towel that you can drape over something because then you work your grip simultaneously, one of my favorite things ever. And then lastly, the squats. In lieu of not having a hill or a place to go outside, yeah, you will be in different angles than just hopping up and down in your calf. So the squat will translate very basically to hill running and the jump squat, as we kind of talked about, is one of those things where you're kind of bounding up a hill. Uh, I, once again, it's not ideal, but there is some transference. Awesome. Awesome. No, I love it. Love it. Because uh, that's, always, that's always a question I kind of try to um, – Try to avoid because I know it gets a little too techy. Uh, but as far as you know, that aerobic threshold is always kind of this mysterious type of thing, you know, like that lactic acid buildup. Like that, that's I mean, we all know. I mean, that's what a lot of that's what causes you to start walking. You know, that's what's that's what makes you question why you're doing what you're doing because of that burning that's going on. And uh, you know, and I, I've heard different strategies and I've heard uh, about pushing to that point where you're feeling it build up, but not to the point where it actually burns and that's yeah. when you stop. 
and that allows your body to basically take that lactate and and process it and and use it and training your body that way do you have any insight onto improving lactate threshold because obviously you know with the mountain races in, in our neck of the woods um you know that that's a huge component to our ability to, to go up hills faster sure uh, and using the previous exercise as an example, so we answered your question that you also said, involving that lactate threshold, okay? If you cycle through very lightly and you're not really going all out, that's going to be an aerobic treatment for that workout, right? And you should know, if you're going for a 30-minute easy jog and you cycle through these exercises I just told you about, you should have the same kind of, quote, internal feeling or rate of perceived exertion. If you're going to the point where you're pushing pretty hard, like a threshold run, and people don't know what that means, this is kind of at your level of your threshold training where you're getting that kind of burn, but it's able to be managed. So that means you're kind of like out of breath. You don't want to talk more than about one phrase at a time. That's a really good check if you don't have a heart rate monitor. Uh, so if I'm, say, doing my jump rope and I'm like, hey, how you doing, Matt? I'm like, I'm doing uh, pretty good, but I'm not too hot right now. You are in control and you should feel that little lactate burn. So let's talk about the physiology briefly because some people don't, there's, there's different people that have different understandings about how lactate is utilized, okay? Lactate is definitely a fuel source. If you listen to, as you said, Richard Diaz on the National Running Network, he really goes through this a lot. So when you're doing any kind of sustainable effort that's about 30 minutes or an hour in length, that's roughly your race pace, you're at a point where you're at your anaerobic threshold. The only way you're going to be able to test that is one, in a lab, or two, is if you do a 30-minute threshold test. And you can go into that if you want to, but in order to understand where you're working at these certain levels, you need to get some kind of baseline. Now, aerobic threshold is at the point where you're starting to push into these areas where you're using lactate for fuel, you're getting to that burning sensation. And that's typically zone two. So if you're looking at a model for a, a five-zone scale, zone two is where you're working your endurance. So you're, you're getting the lion's share of your energy from fat rather than carbohydrate. Whereas when you're getting close to this anaerobic threshold, the, the maximal effort you're able to work for like 30 minutes to an hour, a lot of that is your, your sugar, the carbohydrate-driven kind of fitness. Does that make sense or do you want to clarify more of that? No, no, that, that's, that's definitely clear. It's just a matter of, yeah, what kind of device are you using, you know, and, and where, cause you know, they all do their own little calculations, but, um, but no, that is, that is key. Cause I know when we, we had talked, this was a while ago, but as far as that 30 minute test, um, that, that, that's, that's important. Cause that, that does establish your baseline. Cause other than that, the only other figure we have, uh, is from the math, uh, method, which is the 180 minus your age to kind of give you that aerobic number, but the yes. test is really ideal to, to, to nail it down. Yeah, and the Moffatone test, it's interesting. Uh, a lot of people do use that as a very good baseline because it is measurable and repeatable. Uh, and there are some benefits to using that scale, but everyone is physiologically different. And women especially, and I, I don't, I'm, I'm not picking on women at all. They're just totally unique creatures when it comes to their biology because of their hormonal structure. So if you have, you know, you're in the second, phase of your cycle out of the, third, the three, then you could have a different heart rate response and you could be higher. You know, women have smaller hearts, it be a little higher. So that 180 minus your age thing may not work for everyone across the board, but this lactate field test at least then shows you where your maximum capabilities are for that particular heart rate effort. And then you can start making better determinations about where your pace is for aerobic treatment. 
Yeah. No, I, I like that. And um, an interesting thing, so I have the uh, Garmin watch and there's actually a, a, a threshold test you can perform. And I remember setting up the day and we, I kind of treated it almost like a race day, like preparing for it and going into it. And yeah. there came a point where you have to run for so many minutes at a certain heart rate range. And as the range got higher, I actually never could complete the test. Right. So I can't, for whatever reason, personally, I couldn't sustain a, a high heart rate for that period of time. Like I just, I just couldn't do it. Like it just, I, I wore out. Like so there's something, it seems like there might be something particularly off with me physiologically that I wasn't even able to complete the test. Like I couldn't sustain a higher heart rate. My legs and the rest of me were just, were just failing. Um, yeah, sure. So there's, there's, there's a weak point in, in that for me, but I, it was just ironic that I never actually finished the test on the watch. And I thought that was funny for a guy who thought he was pretty fit. You know, like I couldn't finish the test. <laughs> Did you ever get a clinical test for your VO2 max? No. Okay. So Garmin, I use a Garmin watch too, but I don't ever pay attention to any of the data they throw on me, including my recovery time per day. Like if I'm really pushing short intervals, right? If I'm doing 400 meter repeats or like 600 meter repeats and I'm taking time to recover because you should when you're pushing the limits there, it might tell me like, oh, you got 10 hours of recovery. You can do it again. No, you can't. No, you can't. You're going to die. And then also with the lactate field test, if you look at what they say your VO2 max is, mine kind of always says I'm like 63, but I got clinically tested. I'm closer to 70. So that's a huge gap between those particular things. So not all tech will make or break your efforts, but you should have something that you consistently use to track your progress. And if that's your thing, do it constantly. Yeah. No, the 30 day test, the 30 minute test is, is uh, definitely something that, uh, that I personally need to, to get done. Um, well, it's ironic is I did do it one time and, uh, and I forgot the most important component where my lap time on my watch, I forgot to set it, to turn off the one mile lap time and just to keep it manual because we'll explain to everybody how that 30 minutes works real simply. Yeah, I was going to do that. Thank you for definitely bringing that up because that's important. Uh, I will say this is nothing that I created. This is from a guy named Joe Friel, and he's a big triathlon coach. He's been in the game for many, many years, and he talks about heart rate training. He wrote the heart rate training manual, so he knows what he's talking about. But you can search him out on training peaks, and that's a common area where people like to log their, as a free service, to log their training. And they do have a way that you can put in your information, and it gives you a good readout for your lactate threshold pace and everything. But anyway... In lieu of searching that out, this is what you do. So you're going to run a pretty good warm-up, maybe about 10 to 20 minutes or so, and don't push it too hard at that point. You need to have your watch set to manual so you can lap it. And then when you're ready to do the test, it is a 30-minute all-out test. And ideally, you want to be either on a treadmill because there's no environmental change or a track because there's minimal environmental change, no elevation, right? So... The thing is, it needs to be measurable and repeatable because you do this every 12 weeks or so. So anyway, let's say I'm on the track and I'm warmed up. Then I'm starting to run as hard as possible for 30 minutes. Now, how this will be effective is if you guys run too fast up front and fade because then you're not going to get an accurate heart rate response. It's going to look like you spike and then you fall and level out from there. You also don't want to run too weakly on the front end or in the middle so that you try to catch up at the end. That means you're not going to get a consistent result. So you start your test 
thinking about basically uh, at your threshold pace to race pace. That's a good way to think about it. Like I'm working real hard here, but I can, man I can manage it. 10K effort is a good way to look at it too. So after 10 minutes of laps, when you start your test, you hit the lap button again. So once again, I warm up 10 to 15 minutes. I start my test. After 10 minutes of the test, I hit lap again. Then you have 20 minutes left in the test. And then I'll hit my lap, pull down, save the data. So then I have two main points for that test, the first 10 minutes and the last 20 minutes. So you're looking at the last 20 minutes being your lactate threshold heart rate. And then the 30 minutes is your functional threshold pace as a whole. So for instance, let's say that your 20 minute test at the end there, the 20 minutes of your lactate threshold is about 170 beats per minute. But the entire 30 minutes you're running six minute pace. That means your lactate threshold is 170, but normally your lactate threshold pace is about six minutes per mile. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's easy and hear me talking about it that's why i think you guys should just search out joe friel because he has it you know every step of the way down there but that's the best easiest way i can explain it so it's basically you know settle in for 30 minutes of, of misery it's not an easy test right. but it's definitely better and safer than trying to figure out your max heart rate max heart rate anyone who says that they want to do that test consistently i don't like that test max heart rate just because there's a thing called a hydrogen stack it, stacker, which is a hydrogen ion test. So basically you're running uphill really stupid hard and then you recover like briefly and then you go again and again and again. Anyone that has cardiovascular issues or any thought of having some kind of weird thing, especially your audience is starting to get older, right? You're, you're targeting people that are still relatively fit, but you wanna do things in a safe, progressive manner. And if you're constantly punching the max heart rate test, it's just not a good test to do. I mean, a 30-minute threshold test, yeah, it's going to hurt. But, hell, you guys have done Spartans before. I'm assuming everyone listening to this. It hurts. So you can manage a little 30-minute suck fest. You know, air hugs for all you out there. Yes. Yeah. What, you know what? I think would dovetail into another question um, is, I, is basically just the pain tolerance. And I think that's, that's one of those intangibles um, that, you know, I, I, for instance, I was in a 5k last year and I did my wife's hometown and I've been doing it since we've practically been dating. Uh, so like, like probably done this race 16, 17 years and my wife's younger sister, she has two friends from that school. They're twin girls and they just, they're, they're just phenomenal collegiate athletes. Know, and they always, they're all, I mean, they, they've won the race outright before, but, but now the race attracts more people from the region. So but they're usually the top female performers and I've never beaten them. You know? I'm just happy if I can see them like not too far ahead of me, like halfway through the race, you know? So anyway, last year, the long story short, I saw, I was trying to catch a guy and I thought, you know what? I think I can get him even though I was tired, you know, and I was second guessing, like, should I go for it? Because, you know, if I go to beat him and if he sees me coming and then he kicks in the gears, you know, then I'm going to look like a fool, you know, and I'm like, but I just went for it and I caught him. And then there she was, she was up ahead. I'm like, Oh, I think I might be able to do this. And I just dug in and I went for it and, and I passed her. And I've never beaten one of the girl. The other girl wasn't there, her sister, but I, but I won. And I, well, I didn't win. I beat her though. And um, it was it was just awesome. Um, and it was a great win. And afterwards, she was like, "Yeah, she's you know, 
that was a great finish. What a kick you had. I didn't have it in me, you know? And, and, you know, she's done running her whole life. And, and I was talking to my brother-in-law later and I was like, you know, the irony is she's in probably much better physical condition than I am, or at least more prepared to do a race like this than I am. But at that moment, I wanted it so bad that I was able to deal with the pain. Like she may have said she didn't have the kick left in her, but something tells me that if there was a girl in front of her, you know, 20 yards, she probably would have found that kick, you know? So there's this element and I, and I forget, and I should have the book out here. I think Hutchinson wrote the book. It's called uh, Endure. I don't know if you've seen that book about endurance athletes. Yeah, I've seen it. I just didn't read it yet. Yeah, so it, he, he, but he, he, I never actually finished the book. But I know in the first section, he talks about pain tolerance. And now that's like really kind of a differentiator between performance is how much pain can you tolerate? And, and, and I think a lot of it personally is between the ears. Um, you know, it's like, you know, I just, the, the, the Navy Seals, um, it's been published in many books, but about when the, when the body is telling you you're, or the mind's telling you you're done to quit, your body is actually probably only close to about 40% of its capacity. You know, so your brain is again designed, you know, to keep us safe and protect us, and you know, um, but at the end of the day, your body can tolerate a whole lot more. So, um, with that whole uh, dissertation on pain, what is your thoughts on on improving that capacity to to tolerate pain? Because, okay, because obviously there's the lactose, lactate threshold element, like measurable in science, but then there's the between the ears stuff. Like, is there like self talk? you deal with like what is it is there something you do during the day like embracing the suck is certain things that i do personally you know just trying to train that that ability to tolerate suck you know i think there's a hot i like that uh, i think there's a hot button for everybody and i think you have to first of all understand why you're doing what you're doing you know you have to have relevance and meaning to whatever you're trying to accomplish so and, and no you've obviously felt this as well but no matter how much that you're into whatever you're trying to accomplish, some days are just hard, right? So, okay, I want this podium or I want to do this well. You may not get up with a lot of energy. So that's the, my desire to do this is, is superseding my laziness. So that's number one. Number two, with the self-talk in your brain, I think it becomes a function of just being comfortable consistently with being uncomfortable. Some people will say, you know, I don't like doing 200 meter repeats because they hurt, okay? So they might do, okay, let's do one or two today. Yeah, see, I made a hands up, right? A lot of people hate to do 400 or even a mile. Got a mile time trial, brutal. But anyway, let's say that's your 200 meters you don't like. Okay, do one or two repeats. So dabble in it. Start dealing with the devil that you're not really happy about. And then two becomes three, becomes four, becomes five. And then you're like, I actually kind of like these stupid 200s, right? Because now I can feel like my fitness is getting better because you're used to the pain. Cold water showers, right? Everyone's like doing the cold water shower thing. And there's a reason why you start, even Wim Hof does this, the guy, the Iceman, right? Who started all this stuff, cold immersion. They were like, all right, we'll start with 20 seconds. And then next week we'll go 40 seconds. Then we'll do 60 seconds. It's, it's hormesis. Your body's going to get used to it. Your mind's going to get stronger by not killing you. Small doses of discomfort over time create strength and mental toughness, not just one thing all out. There are rare people that can do that I mean, think about yourself, right? You're like, I'm not going to do this ultra beast thing. But then you're like, hell with it. I'm just going to suffer. I'm going to put it out there. And then you podium, right? That's a great example where that's a unique thing. Um, so kudos to you for that. But most of the time it's, 
get comfortable being uncomfortable within reason and just extend your discomfort. And that gets a little bit easier over time. Love it. Love it. Yeah, no. And it's, uh, it's something I've been, been doing for a long time with the cold showers. And uh, it's funny because ironically, you know, people have talked about the cold showers and after they do it for a while, they, they learn to love them. Um, I despise them. In fact, it got to the point where it was impacting sleep because the reality was I was procrastinating shower. I shower before bed. I don't want to go shower because I know it's going to suck. So I would just be like distracting myself and hesitating to go upstairs to shower because I knew it was going to be brutal. Um, so, so I was going to bed later as a result because I was just dragging my feet on other things that I didn't want to shower. That's um, funny. But, uh, but personally, I changed it, but I do take a warm shower. I get into the warm water and I basically do the washing and then ultimately um, I turn it to straight cold and I do a breathing and counting exercise, uh, which is something that I think um, is something just I'm thinking of it now to add as, as um, mental capacity and dealing with pain. One of the things that you talk about not being able to, you know, you can't feel like more at the same time like if you're in, if you're if you're in a state of gratitude you can't feel you know depressed you know if you're being grateful for stuff so what i found is that counting counting just saying and repeating numbers has proven to distract yourself from not just thoughts but also from some pain or at least discomfort so as i do my cold shower i'm counting i can't think of anything i'm just counting the numbers and that's the focus on is on the and you know, that's a great idea. And I was actually going to say something about the counting as well, because sometimes let's say you just have to get up for an early workout, right? Sometimes you just have to keep your eyes closed for a second, count back from five, get your feet out of bed. So like five, four, three, two, one, I'm up. And then just go for it. So that's yeah. another way that you can use counting as a thing. Oh, also speaking of counting, man, did you ever count in your head when you're doing like a really sucky heavy carry? at a Spartan or something like that, just like one foot in front of the other, like one, two, three, four, five, six, go. One, two, three, four, right? That stuff helps a lot because it yep. distracts from the pain. Yeah, sure. No, because I, I would I would pick spots out and I would kind of guess how many steps it would take me to get there. You know, I'd be like, all right, 30 more steps and I'm there. And I'm usually off. I'm usually go 30 steps and I'm not there yet. But at least uh, I'm just focused on the 30 steps. But yeah, I think counting is – it's just really interesting because even, even in, in, in not to go down this road necessarily, but meditation, um, counting, you know, just counting your breathing, you know, is, is really how it, it really starts, you know, just again, counting and focusing on the numbers and just distracting yourself from the other stuff, you know, sure. thoughts or physical discomfort. Um, so, uh, so no, that, that's, uh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, Everybody out there's got to start embracing the cold showers. So basically, um, let's let's talk about a, just a piece of advice from your obviously well versed experience. Um, if you have, could give one overwhelmed age group dad a piece of training advice, what would that one piece be? Obviously, there's so many, but just one little snippet to that overwhelmed dad trying to get a Spartan podium. All right, here you go. And this is something I don't know if anyone really talks about too much because of the discipline that sport training requires. A lot of people are like, yo, just Spartan up and do it, right? I think it actually helps to be flexible. So Bruce Lee had that quote, right? Be like water. So, you know, water is formless until it, it takes 
capable of anything. And when you are dealing with a lot of things, you know, a nine to five job, 40 hours a week plus, you have kids, you have a demanding schedule. If you are scheduled, let's say Wednesday is your track day and you're like, this is my, my repeat, my short repeat day, I have to get it done, right? And life is just gonna happen, switch the day, you know, just chalk, chalk it up to, it was not the day today, I'm not, wouldn't be in a good mindset anyway because I'm stressed and just do it another day. So be flexible and then I think that's the best way to go, honestly. So flexible, you're talking about with actual training schedule, not necessarily about doing yoga and flexibility exercises. That is correct. Be flexible with your schedule, correct. Even though yoga is cool, I'm, I do it occasionally. It's okay. Yeah, no, well, um, and I never read the book, but uh, Tom Brady uh, has a, a book. Um, I forget what it's called. It's something with number 12 in it. But, uh, but essentially, like his, his secrets to, to his basic, you know, health and longevity and, and you know, obviously a pretty intense sport um, is like pliability. And the exercises yeah. that he does, uh, from what I've seen, is a lot of just like deep massaging as you're doing like some kind of movement and, and like sliding, like, and just keeping your muscles pliable to prevent injury. Uh, but yeah, that helps, especially with the audience you're trying to talk to. Um, you know, what happens over time physiologically, our muscle tendon units get stiffer. Things don't work as well. If you're just a pure runner, that's a limited range of motion sport. So you're not going to be really doing a lot of extra mobility, which does help your muscle tissue stretch. So uh, I think that was good advice on his part, too. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go. Uh, let's go for this one. As far as, you know, OCR exercises uh, and training. Um, what would be like the top two specific, if you have to say a third, OCR specific exercises that you would recommend? Okay, so I'm gonna take this in terms of the time management piece because that seems to be what we're really going for here. Yep. I need to create a list of the top four things you suck at. And then the top two things are your favorite exercises. So here's a good example. If you are not good at running long distances, right? Then that's top number one because it's a running based sport. So if you're doing a, a sprint, or sorry, a super to a beast distance, you've got to prioritize your running. The second thing that I think will translate to pretty much any course, and we're talking not just Spartan here, you know, if you're doing up like OCR World Championships or something like that, you do have to get your grip game and your, uh, your ability to hang and pull and go through those activities on point. Otherwise, it's not going to work out well for you. I do love carrying. I was actually pretty weak at carrying. And that's, you know, you're running kind of, you're working with a load, you're also working your hip extension power for hills. So that's, that's an honorable mention. But I think overall, something akin to get your running game down well, because that's a non-negotiable. And as far as like your grip strength and your ability to transition from one obstacle to another is going to matter a lot. So an exercise. Exercise? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so let's take, uh, I actually like the trap bar deadlift, and there's a lot of muscular activation that occurs with that over a standard conventional deadlift or a squat. So that's my, my favorite for a barbell. And then I would say my second would be some kind of weighted pull-up chin-up variation that may or may not involve thickening the bar. So bonus points, if you can wrap a towel around it and do weighted pull-ups like that, uh, if you can also... Um, take your towel and then wrap it around the bar so you're not hanging off of it. That's another way to get your, your grip strength down. So really simple, trap bar deadlifts for the lower body, some kind of pull exercise where there's chin-up or pull-ups weighted with some kind of grip element that, that I think are the two best transferable ones. 
And it's funny you said about the trap bar because one of the things that was frustrating me a couple years ago was the uh, the tire flip, um, and I just I just couldn't do it, you know. And I decided that I was not going to fail that anymore. So I incorporated the trap bar deadlift once a week, and uh, I personally just did it. You know, I don't even know if I did it every week, but when I did do it, I was going for like a heavy two or three. Um, is that something that you would recommend sets of, of eight at a, at a medium weight or like I was doing at, at the high end, probably four, four fifteen, for like two, um, is there any method of madness to, uh, to something like that? Oh, that's a rabbit hole, man. Uh, that's a, that's a big one. I think it comes down to, uh, how comfortable people are with lifting anyway. So if I had a true blue novice, I would probably stick to sets of six, six repetitions just so that they get the idea of the exercise and they have some kind of stimulus. And yes, that's a little gray area training, but it's okay. In an ideal setting for intermediate to advanced, I do think the two to three repetition mark in a conjugate style is really good. So if you're doing like working up to a top set of two or three, and then you start getting percentages based on that effort level, um, and then cycle it through the season, once again, that's the rabbit hole because it's a lot deeper than just, you know, what it is. So. If I would be going on exertion and repetition work, I would say two to three reps at about eight to nine out of 10 RPE, where you have like one or two reps left in the tank every set and cap it off at about four sets, call it a day. That's great. That's great. Um, all right, Matt, let's, uh, let's just get some, some personal stuff here. So first, like what was the biggest in-race challenge that you had to face and overcome and that, you know, that ultimately you're better for after having faced that in-race challenge. Okay. Uh, I have two examples, but I'll give you one because I think failure actually promotes the most amount of learning and you're only going to know what to work on if you do fail. So this was a, a bone, a battle frog. I'm sorry. Battle frog, rest, you know, God rest its soul, RIP, battle frog. But anyway, I was pretty good at Spartan. And I thought, I'm just going to see what happens in a battle frog because Ryan Atkins was winning everything. And I was like, I'm going to go in. So I was running neck and neck with the first place guy to start. And this was in D.C. I think it was 2016 or something like that. The course was washed out. Like, it was a muddy, miserable mess. And I've never had my grip strength dialed in to the necessity of that course. And so I spent about an hour at tip of the spear because I could not cross it. It was the advanced lane, you know, the, the elite lane. The ropes were slick with mud. The, the more you did it, the worse it got. Finally passed it. So now I'm like, I don't even know what place. I probably was in last place at that point, still running the course. And then eventually I got to the multi-rig and this was lap one of two. And I spent another hour failing that. So I could either have just done the penalty, took the finisher's shirt, did another lap, but I was like, all right, I'm walking off course. That's my lesson of the day. I had another one signed up for six weeks afterwards. I got my grip game dialed in. I really worked hard at it. I failed no obstacles, and I placed fourth. The, there was a stud, uh, a stud group of guys there that day, and not to mention any names, Kempsons. <clears throat> they uh, decided to take first and second spots, but that's okay. And Jared Newby got third. He's an honorable man. He's a majorly awesome athlete. So I was cool being fourth that day, but that was the lesson, you know, don't fail and quit, fail and persevere and get better. That's great. Yeah. 
no, that that's great, and that and that's and that's why these races are, you know, what they are. I mean, they 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 push us to failure, and uh, they push us to places where you start questioning and you start having to tap into to values, you know, at that point, you know, sure. um, and and basic principles, um, which is you know sometimes you already have them and you lean on them. Sometimes you build them in in that race in that moment. You know, you find out what you have, uh, and uh, that, that that's great. So as far as so. You're obviously, you know, at a pretty high level. You're, you're a great performer. Your results speak to that. What would it take for you personally right now to get to another level up? If there is another level up for you, what, what is it going to take for you to get there? And, and, not, and not just harder, more work or hard work or, you know, um, more time. Like what, what specifically do you think you need to work on that's going to get you to that next level? You know, I, I hate to say this, but I think it is a time thing. Over, uh, even though I do preach that you can get things done with a shorter block of time, if it's a necessity, if you had the time to train that some of these top professionals would have available to them, you can make gains. Because if you look at some of their running schedules, I mean, they're just out there all the time. I mean, I'm not going to use Ryan Atkins as an example because he's a mutant. Love Ryan Atkins. He's great. But he's a one in a million billion athlete. And so you wouldn't want to put in that much volume, you'll fall apart. But it is a time game. There's a certain amount of time that you need to spend running, doing the carrying, building your strength gain, and of course, the recovery element. So I do think that based on where I am right now, if I had more time to run, that would be the step up. Because my strength game with all the stuff that I try to coach in and of myself and my athletes, I'm where I need to be strength-wise. I'm where I need to be grip-wise. It would really just be cleaning up the running game to uh, – I was out running consistently in 2019. No failures and obstacles, really. It was just sincerely the running game that killed me. Yeah, fair enough. I know that that, would, that made the biggest change for me, you know, was learning and, and accepting, I guess, the reality that running needs to be your, your top priority. And, and then, again, yeah. not just going for a run, but running with purpose and intention. Sure. Um, so, I guess – Closing down here, um, who is your biggest influencer when it comes to just racing and performance and OCR? We'll keep it OCR specific. Anyone in particular who really kind of, you know, inspires you and that you follow a little bit more closely than others? This is not me sounding arrogant or disrespectful or anything, but as far as obstacle course racing, I think because I was there pretty early too, you know, like the genesis of the sport. Now, my first race was 2010 on the Warrior Dash. You know, I just, like I said, really got interested in 2014. But wow. I saw, like, people in the sport as being like, oh, I want to be that person. You know, I really want to be that. I like philosophers. I like musicians. I was a musician before all this. So, like, I really got into, like, Neil Peart on drums, right? Like, he was disciplined. He had a focus structure. He was a, kind of a warrior poet. Um, Bruce Lee is a good example too because he was another warrior poet and Prefontaine right as a as a young gun amazing track star those guys have value and lessons that can be translated to every aspect of your life including the OCR course so even though I don't have a true obstacle course racing superstar that I look up to um, I think there are a lot of people that you can gain value from that may not be that it could even be your family like your, your daddy or mom that inspires you right or even your kids can inspire you doing things that maybe you would not do before. Maybe you're doing the Spartan thing. You're a 50-year-old person. Let's say your kids are getting into it. Okay, let's run this race together. So inspiration comes in many forms. Awesome. Awesome. Um, 
Anything personally you'd like to share or shed some light on? I know we could talk for we could talk for hours here, and uh, I'm just trying to look at some of the questions. I don't want to get too far in the rabbit hole with some details, but uh, but anything just kind of on your mind that you, know, you think's worthwhile sharing right now? Honestly, I think uh, the most important thing is what we talked about before we started recording, and that is the camaraderie in OCR and and keeping the sport with why it made it great to begin with. You know, helping out your fellow athletes, being an inspiration, always leaving yourself out there and being open. So if someone like yourself, who's, who's an amazingly talented age group person, if someone contacts you with, I, have, I really want to get better, do you have any little pieces of advice? You know, extend a hand. And extend the, the good nature of the community, and that's what makes the sport great, no matter if you're a, a Savage Race or a Spartan or an Oxford Force World Championship person. You know, it is a global phenomenon right now, and it'd be nice to keep that camaraderie. Yeah. No. No, I, I, exactly. I, I appreciate that. And everyone needs to just kind of really absorb the energy and contribute to the energy out there. You know, it's so hard uh, for me always to, to leave the festival area. You know, it's just like that, that excitement and, uh, you know, just that energy in the air. It, it's, it's real. It's palpable. Um, and having to leave, you're just like, drawn to come back and try it again. And, you know, and um, even though you just like, Kind of went through hell you know some people actually do but you know you, you yeah. put yourself to the test but i think there's something to people just leaving it out there on a course um and everyone's sharing in that regardless of how long it took you to finish it the fact that we all left part of us out there you know we all share in that which is which is how you start a community for sure for sure yeah totally agree with it yes absolutely cool well listen um how can people you know follow along with you. And, uh, you know, I know you, you're, you're hinting at you know, doing a little coaching. I know we talked and it's been a while, but I know you had mentioned about coaching. Um, you know, are you, are you out there on social media? I mean, where can people kind of pay attention to you and what you're doing and, and learn from you? Oh, thanks, man. Uh, yeah. So really my Instagram is at Zebraman runs. You can look at me on Facebook with uh, Matt Libtack and I'm, it, you'll see the zebra face paint with a dog. That's kind of like my, you know, opening picture. But anyway, uh, as far as coaching goes, it's a small community that I'm running right now. And I have, I think, a full roster to start, even though the COVID thing has prevented some people from fully committing on a time frame that we've been looking at. But I, I am taking individuals who do want to be coached in the style that I coach, and I can give you some preliminary information. And I'll write your name down if something opens up or if I want to take on some more clientele. So it'll be nice to have you. Awesome. Awesome. Um... Last question. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> Take us into your head before a race. What do you, what do you, what are you saying to yourself when you're standing in that block and it's ready to go? You know, I mean, obviously there's a lot going on in your head. I mean, are you telling yourself to just breathe? Are you just focusing on being present? Are you thinking about like, all right, I know like this first mile is going to be hard and then I'm going to do a couple of gauntlet of obstacles and then it's going to be a run. Like, are you rehearsing the course in your head? Are you, is, you know, what, what exactly, you know, we're talking less than a minute before the race is going to start. What's going on in your head that you're preparing to go? Gotcha. Uh, actually it's a little visualization. Uh, now the course I normally do some kind of recon like the week before, or like I look at elevation profiles and stuff like that. So that's not really going through my head. 
what's going through my head is to remind myself to always run my own race. A lot of people forget that because what happens is most people start too fast. Because one other thing about the obstacle course racing is even if you're prepared 120%, you know the course, you know what you're able to do, things can just go wrong. So instead of dwelling on things that may not go well for you, just ride it out, enjoy the entire thing, you train for it. So it is literally just enjoy it and run your own race. That's exactly what happens in my head and breathing. Awesome. Awesome. Matt, uh, I'm going to end the recording here. So I appreciate you and what you're doing and uh, and for being open and sharing all that content because i know it's helped me personally and i'm sure there's other people have benefited from it as well so hopefully together keeping this going keeping this energy alive we'll, we'll uh inspire and uh propel other guys to, to get these these podium finishes yeah absolutely and good luck everybody and thank you again this is a lot of fun appreciate it matt awesome dude thank you Hey guys, so I just want to really uh, extend another thank you uh, to Matt Liptak for taking the time to share um, all that great info and content with us. Um, and I also wanted to remind any of you OCR enthusiasts, you Spartan racers out there, obviously, depending on when you're listening to this, there are pretty much no races, at least not in the United States. Um, however, we, uh, we don't want to let the momentum, you know, fall as far as our preparedness and our training and you know our, our lifestyle and i've been hosting monthly challenges five-day challenges where i'm basically pulling back the curtain and revealing what i did that allowed me to go from uh you know i would say an above average participant to actually capturing age group podiums and um it, it took uh, it took a pandemic honestly for me to find the time to flush out all of the the nitty-gritty details on what i did and it was kind of a, a, a pinball kind of journey up and down and all around as I tried to work my way through and figure out what it was going to take to uh, to take my, my, my racing to the next level. Um, you know, I'm busy. I'm a dad. I got a business. I got kids, um, which is why I'm a dad, apparently. But, uh, you know, so uh, anyway, if that is something that may have interest to you, the challenges are free, at least as of this recording. So check them out. Uh, sign up for the next one. It's coming up soon. MatthewEngler.com forward slash Podium Secrets with an S. MatthewEngler.com forward slash Podium Secrets um, if you want to sign up for the next challenge. Anyway, that is all. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Thanks, guys. Peace. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Your time is valuable and we appreciate you spending it with us. Realizing your optimized self begins with taking action and making progress every single day. Achieving a fuller life can be as simple as smiling more often while embracing the infinite possibilities waiting for you. If you like what you heard today, be sure to hit that subscribe button and share with your friends. We are grateful for your support and appreciate you sharing this with others. See you in the next episode. And remember, together, let's all live warrior optimized.